few weeks ago, we began our study in the book of Hebrews. Uh, and I don't know how many of you are on Facebook and see uh, uh, the quotes on Facebook, but uh, uh, Chuck put something on there. You know, First Peter only had five chapters. And uh, what did we do? 30-something lessons. So he was wondering how long it was going to take to get through Hebrews. I said, I think I, think I can make it to retirement. Uh, but uh, anyway, we, 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 may be, we may be a while. But our key verse has been this one. Uh, how many of you think you have memorized these two verses? All right. Okay. You got time. Uh, but I want to encourage you to work on trying to memorize them. I can quote it in my office by myself, but standing up here in front of you people, I can't. So I'm going to read it. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that no one may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firm till the end the confidence we had at first. And that is our whole goal as we go through the book of Hebrews is to encourage each other. The writer was writing to those who were on the verge of giving up, who, who for whatever reason were about to turn back. They were discouraged. Have you ever been discouraged? I told some of you, I can't remember whether it was a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, but I mentioned the fiasco we had with the little, with the playground equipment that Kenya had ordered. And that, you know, it came in these five huge boxes and, and the uh, instruction manual that was that thick. And I got to, you know, step one and all the parts weren't there. Very frustrating. So I call the manufacturer, tell them what parts I'm missing. They mail me the parts and the parts that I get are not the parts that I ordered. And are not the parts that I'm missing. So I took it all back to Sam's and said, forget it. We still have no playground, you know, thing in the yard. But Kenya wanted a porch swing to uh, to go out on the swing set for Mother's Day and for her birthday. So we ordered that and it came in this week. And so yesterday I'm putting it together. And, you, you know, it's basically together really for the most part. But you got to take the seat and put it on the back, you know, and then you got to put the, the handles on. That's pretty much all there is to it. So I put the back onto the, to the seat and I'm trying to put the handles on and they won't fit. The holes are not in the right place and I'm getting very frustrated and I'm getting very discouraged and I'm looking, yes, I'm looking at the instructions. It was just one sheet of paper. I'm looking at the instructions, I'm looking at the picture, and I'm like, this, I cannot believe this. And Kenya comes down there, and as she has a way of doing, you know, are you sure you've got it right? Of course I've got it right. You can't have it wrong, there's really only one way this can go. Well, no, there were two ways it could go. Because what I had thought was the seat was the back, and what I thought was the back was the seat, so I was trying to put the arms on backwards. <laughs> Once I flipped it upside down, whew, they just slipped right in. It was easy. But I was discouraged. I was discouraged. 
Some of you may have been discouraged at your jobs. You know, sometimes we can get discouraged at things that really don't matter. You know? But then sometimes we can get discouraged at things that really do matter. And some of these people to whom the writer was sending this letter, they were very discouraged. And they were on the verge of turning back, giving up on the Christian faith, and turning back specifically for them to go back to Judaism. Like I said, not a temptation for us. But we might be tempted to go back to whatever life we had before we were in Christ. And the writer comes along and says, don't do it. Don't give up. Don't go back because what you have in Christ, what we have in Christ is so much more superior, greater, better than even what y'all had in Judaism. Now, we can understand if he was talking about the heathen Gentiles. Well, what you have in Christ is so much better than, than the way you used to walk as, as a heathen out there. But he's saying, even to you Jews who become Christians, what you have now is so much better than even what you had in Judaism under the old law. Why would you give up? Why would you quit? And so last week we looked at uh, the idea that Jesus was superior, that he was the superior voice, even to the prophets. The prophets were great. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah and Daniel and, and all those prophets, they were, they, were, they were wonderful, they were important. Moses who gave the law, they were important. And yes, God spoke through them. But now he has spoken through his son. Wow, how much greater is that? Yeah, the prophets were great. Yeah, Moses was great. And we remembered that, you know, that scene on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is up there and he's talking with Elijah and Moses. And Peter says, Lord, do you want, us to, do you want me to build three tents? One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. And almost... I don't want to read too much in it, but almost as a a slap to Peter. The voice from heaven comes down and says, this is my son. Listen to him. Yeah, Moses was good in his time and for what he, the purpose he served. Elijah was important in his time and for the purpose he served. But now this is my son. You listen to him. You don't put him on the same level as Moses and Elijah. You don't say, I'm going to build a tabernacle for all three of them as if they were the same and equal. This is my son. Listen to him. And in this morning's text, the writer reminds his readers and us that Jesus is superior even to the angels. Beginning in verse 5, he says, or verse 4, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, and today I become your father? Or again, I will, be the, my, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants fire, uh, fires of flame. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And he also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth. 
and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you will remain the same. And your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? He's reminding us that Jesus is far superior to the angels. Now, like the prophets and like Moses, angels were important. Angels served a great purpose in the plan of God. You remember very early on in Genesis chapter 3 after the fall of man and God kicks, exiles man and woman from the garden and says that he put cherubim in front of the garden and a flashing sword to guard the entrance so that they couldn't get back in. And then an angel came and spoke to Hagar. Remember when Hagar had left because Sarah was beginning to, you know, torment her. When she left and was out in the desert, an angel of the Lord spoke to her and told her to return to Abraham. And two angels and a third being came to Abraham and Sarah and told them that she was going to have a child by this time next year. And that that third being stayed behind with Abraham and... They had that discussion about the destruction of Sodom and they had that little negotiation going on. While that was happening, the two angels went on to Sodom and were the cause of all the ruckus with Lot and his family. An angel of the Lord told Abraham as he was about to take the knife and plunge it into Isaac. He said, don't. Don't sacrifice Isaac. All throughout the Old Testament, angels came and spoke to God's people. Whether it be Gideon, whether it be Moses, whether it be others. And there's, it's interesting because sometimes, like in the case of that third being with Abraham and Sarah, sometimes it will say an angel of the Lord... But as the conversation goes on, it seems apparent that whoever is speaking is God himself. And so it appears as if sometimes in the Old Testament that God himself would take on the form of this angel and would speak to certain people, whether it be Moses at the burning bush or whether it be Gideon, or whether it be different situations that this happened. But anyway, we have these angels throughout the Old Testament. We come to the New Testament, and it was an angel who told Zechariah the coming birth of John the Baptist. An angel named Gabriel announced to Mary that she would have a son. And an angel, perhaps the same angel Gabriel, but we don't know that for a fact, told Joseph to go ahead and to marry Go ahead with the marriage to Mary. Angels announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds in the field. Angels attended Jesus after his temptation in the desert. An angel told Cornelius that his prayers had been answered and to send to Joppa for Peter to come and tell him what he needed to do. 
An angel woke Peter in jail and told him to get up, that he needed to get out of there and helped him escape. An angel appeared to Paul and told him that he and the crew would be safe from the storm that was coming. And angels are seen throughout the book of Revelation. Michael mentioned by name. Now, this is not an in-depth study of angels. Okay, that's another place, another time. What the writer tells us here in Hebrews is not an in-depth study of angels. His point was, as great as angels are, as much as you think about angels, Jesus is superior. Jesus is better than the angels. Now, apparently... Some of those Jews who had come out of Judaism had become Christians. Some of them wanted to continue to elevate angels to an improper place of importance. Not that they didn't have a place of importance, but they wanted to elevate them to an improper place of importance. Perhaps even to worship them. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul warned against people who would worship Angels. And maybe it was because of all the angelic things that happened in the past. But for whatever reason, they they wanted to go back in that. They wanted to think about it. The writer reminds us that Jesus is much superior to the angels. First of all, he says, Jesus is superior to the angels because he is the son. Now, that whole chapter one, or the rest of that chapter one that we read... Almost all of it are quotes from the Old Testament. And I think the writer is trying to tell the people that I don't have to prove to you from the New Testament that you have a tendency you're about to give up on. I'm going to prove to you out of the Old Testament that's what you're wanting to go back to. I'm going to use proof out of there that Jesus is greater than the angels. And he says he's greater because he is the son. And he says, to which of the angels did he ever say? You are my son. Well, he never said that to any of the angels. And we understand that the, that the son is greater than the angels. Who is greater, the son or the servant? Even the prodigal son understood the idea that the servant was less than the son. When he came back to his senses and he was going to go home, he kind of felt like he didn't deserve to be son anymore, so he'd come back as a servant. But the father said, no, 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 no. You're my son. You're going to come back as my son. Why, the writer says, would you want to go back and worship and elevate angels when God has given you his own son? How much greater is God's son compared to the servants? God had used angels to perform miracles and lead the people. And they may have boasted in that fact that that God had, had, had used angels to speak to their ancestors. And so in their mind, for whatever reason, these angels were placed in this particularly elevated place. And the writer says, no, 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 no. The angels served a purpose. 
But Jesus is the son. And so we worship the son. Secondly, Jesus is, is superior because of what he did. In verse chapter 1 and verse 3, and we looked at this last week. It says, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And then in chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. Because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The angels did some remarkable things. I guess miracles perhaps were performed through angels. Angels spoke to people. Angels are protectors. It says here in the end of chapter 1, they're ministering spirits to serve those who will inherit salvation. I don't know what all of that means. I'm not 100% sure. But in all of that, you still get the idea that they simply were servants. They simply were messengers from God. In a sense... Just like the prophets. In a sense, just like Moses. Were messengers from God. Now, was Jesus a messenger from God? Yes. Absolutely. But he was more than a messenger from God. He was the sacrifice for our sins. Chapter 1, he provided purification for our sins. Chapter 2, he tasted death for everyone by the grace of God. We talked about it last week when we talked about the prophets. The prophets could not do what Jesus did. The angels could not do what Jesus did. The angels could not provide that perfect sacrifice That sinless lamb, unspotted, shed that perfect blood to wash away our sins. Only God's son could do that. Only he who became a man. Now, next week, we're going to talk, or next time, we're going to talk a little bit about, it says, and I just read it, but it says that in the beginning of chapter 2 as well. It says that Jesus became lower the angels. Hmm. Wait a minute. Excuse me, Mr. Writer of Hebrews. You spent this whole time arguing the fact that Jesus is greater than the angels. That Jesus is superior to the angels. And now you say he was made lower than the angels. Aren't you contradicting yourself? No, he's not. And we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But not right now. Just let you know, okay? Tease you a little bit. But Jesus offered the sacrifice that nothing else could. Why would you go back to a way of life that had no hope for salvation? 
They didn't quite under the Jews who'd become Christians. They didn't quite understand this. This was a part of their growing process. The idea that under the old law, there was no sacrifice for sin. Later on in the book of Hebrews, the writer is going to specifically say, you know, all them goats and bulls and rams and all those things that you sacrificed. They couldn't take away sin. I remember the old timey preacher saying, you know, they kind of rolled forward the sins. Well, I think there's a little something kind of to that, you know, but they couldn't ever take away the sin. Why would you go back to a way of life that in and of itself, you understand that the old law without the new law, the old prophecies without Jesus were useless, provided no salvation, no hope. It's only in light of Jesus that the old law makes any sense, really. Why would you go back to that old way? Why would you go back to doing those those old things that never could really take away your sin, never give you any real hope, never offer you eternal life? Why would you give up on that and go back to some other way, worshiping angels and elevating them as if they could do something for you? Why would you go back to a system that had no payment for sin or its consequences and no hope for eternal life? Why would you choose a way of life that provides none of these things as well? And we may be sitting here this morning. You may be sitting here this morning thinking to yourself. What does this have to do with me? I'm not going to go worshiping angels. You know, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to give up on Christ and go worship angels or, or something like that. But I think in this sense, the angels represent represent or can represent anything that we might go to alternatively instead of Christ. It might be some mysticism thing out there somewhere. It might even be just humanism. Well, I'm just not going to believe in God. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Yeah, and what's that going to get you? What hope is there in that? What promise is there in that? Why would you give up on the hope and the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ? Why would you give that up for something that provides none of that? Why would you go back to that way of life. Thirdly, Jesus said, or the writer says, that Jesus is superior because he is the creator. Jesus as God is the creator of the universe. The Father has placed all things under him. Remember in John chapter 1, and we love that first verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And through the Word, all things were made, and without him, nothing in the world was made why would you worship the creation as opposed to the creator Jesus is God's son eternal God from the beginning before the beginning as we know the beginning angels are created beings created by God to be servants and ministering spirits why would you worship the creation as opposed to the creator why would you Do something like that. Many of today's religions that are out there, 
center around worshiping creation. Whether it's worshiping nature in some sense. Or whether it's worshiping the stars. And the sun and the moon and the planets and, you know, and all of those kinds of things. Or whether it centers around worshiping man as the ultimate being, the ultimate authority. Why would you worship the creation and not the creator? It seems difficult for me to understand how those who seem to be so in tune with nature, can miss the obvious concept that there has to be a creator. You cannot have the order and the beauty of what we have without understanding that somebody had to create that. There had to be a design to it. I've told you all this before, but years ago when I was teaching the junior high class and we were talking about creation and the idea of does God exist and things like that, that I came into the classroom and at the beginning of the classroom, I gave one of the kids an empty box and I gave another kid, I had taken this alarm clock, this old real timey alarm clock, you know. You know, you used to pull the stem out and it used to, okay. There was no snooze on those kind of alarm clocks. But anyway, I had taken it apart to a million pieces. Maybe even used a hammer or something. I don't know. But took it apart. And I put it in a shoebox. And so I told this student, I said, I want you to sit here and I want you to shake this box, the empty box. Just shake it. And the other one, I said, I want you to take this this box that had the alarm clock in it, all in pieces, and I want you to shake it. And so they start shaking it. And I just go on with class, talking about creation and talking about God and talking about all of this. You know, and at some point in time, they finally said, how long are we going to have to keep shaking this box? And so I said to the one who had the empty box, I said, is there an alarm clock in that box yet? No, keep shaking it. And the other one, I said, has that alarm clock put itself, have you shaken it until it got all back together? No, keep shaking it. And you see, that's kind of what many in the world believe. That out of nothing, this all appeared. Or even if you want to give them a little. That there was this stuff here. To begin with. But all that stuff. Just happened to. Fall into place. And create. What we see before us. Only the fool. Says in his heart. There is no God. The psalmist writes. Why would we worship the creation instead of the creator? And fourthly, Jesus is superior because he is worshipped. It says there in chapter 1 that the angels worship the Son. Over in Revelation, we see the angels worshipping the Son. S-O-N, in case some of you weren't with me. The Son. Worshipping Jesus. 
If the angels are worshiping Jesus, if the angels themselves recognize their inferiority to Jesus, the Son of God, why would we worship them? Why would we worship that or those who themselves recognize their inferiority? Jesus' superiority. It doesn't make much sense. We have those in our world who worship Mary. Who worship the apostles. Who worship certain saints. Why would you worship the inferior? Instead of the superior. You remember when those people in Iconium. Fell down at Saul and Barnabas' feet to worship them. Saul said, get up. I'm just a human being. Why would you worship the inferior? Why would you worship the creation? Why would you worship the one that does the worshiping? To another. Don't worship me. Worship who I worship. Jesus Christ, God's son. And again, in Colossians 2 and verse 18, it talks about those who wanted to worship the angels. Now, again, what the writer is saying, and this is the point that really hits home to us specifically, to abandon the Christian faith means replacing it with something else. I I believe that. You cannot abandon the Christian faith and not replace it with something else. Even if it's simply my own desires. Okay? I'm not going to give up my Christian faith for Judaism. I'm not going to give up my Christian faith for Hinduism. I'm not going to give up my Christian faith for Buddhism. I'm not going to give my Christian faith for Islam. I'm not going to give up my Christian faith for any of those things. But I might be tempted to give up my Christian faith just to do what I want to do. And you may say, well, that's just giving up on religion in general. Well, religion has to do with what you worship. And in that case, I'd be worshiping myself. Be worshiping my own desires. Be worshiping what I want. And the writer here is saying... Why? Why would you do that? It's kind of like when I finally listen to my wife and I flip the thing over and I thought, boy, are you dumb. (laughs) What What were you thinking? How could you not Plainly see that the back is the back and the seat is the seat. And the writer is saying, what are you thinking? You who are that close to giving up, what are you thinking? What's your alternative? You want to worship the prophets? You want to worship Moses? What are they going to give you? Without Jesus. You want to worship the angels? Why would you do that? It's just silly. It's just dumb. Why would you worship the angels? 
Why would we give up on what God has provided us through his son for an alternative that cannot promise anything even close to what God's son provides? So we will hold firmly to the end. We won't settle for worshiping the inferior. We will worship and give our lives to the superior by far which is Jesus, God's own son. If you're here this morning, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ, our living savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903 645 If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.